Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, my name is Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket Podcast. This week we're supposed to be at the world's largest phone conference, Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. But the shows had to be cancelled due to the coronavirus outbreak. Still, that hasn't stopped a number of companies opting to reveal the products they plan to launch anyway via virtual conferences instead. And Pocalins editor Chris Hall joins me to discuss the big announcements that have happened. Back at the end of January, I caught up with Lego's head of marketing in the UK and Ireland, Marius Lang, to talk about the company's Lego hidden side augmented reality sets the future of Lego, and whether there'll be a Lego Movie 3. And away from Lego and phones, I catch up with Pocalimp Reviews editor Mike Lowe to talk about the new Fujifilm X-T4 camera. The new model is the upgrade to the award-winning X-T3 and brings a number of new features and upgrades, but is it any good? Mike has been playing and is here to tell us. But first, back to you, Chris. Tell us more about all the phone launches we've seen this week. Well, as you said, it was supposed to be Mobile World Congress and Mobile World Congress is often the, the, the choice venue for a number of manufacturers to launch their devices. We'd already seen Samsung go early and get their phones out of the way. But one of the big phones that we were looking forward to was seeing the new Sony Xperia handset. Now, Sony cancelled their press conference fairly early on and then did the whole thing virtually online. And they announced the Sony Xperia 1 Mark II and the Sony Xperia 10 Mark II. Now, the interesting thing about these is they're using the Mark II moniker. There have been lots of rumors about whether it would be the Sony Xperia 2 or the 3 or the 1 Plus or all sorts of different combinations. So so the the real thinking here is that they're taking some of the... uh, taking, Taking the line that they use with their Alpha cameras. And in Alpha, they've had Alpha 7 Mark II, 3, 4... And that's what they're now going to be doing with the phones. So we have the Xperia 1 Mark II, which is the update to last year's Xperia 1. That's their flagship device with a 4K display. Yes, okay. it's a 4K display. That seems quite excessive. Well, it is and it isn't. It's, it comes back to an old argument that Sony was having, mostly with itself, where it said, you don't need a 2K display, which is what most of the so-called Quad HD devices are. Because there is no there is no 2K. It doesn't exist. You have 1080p or you have 4K. And so what Sony's really doing is it's working within the same lines that it sells TVs. It had full HD TVs. It had 4K TVs. It has full HD phones. It has 4K phones. And the same, same applies to its video capture. I mean, the argument kind of fell apart because people then started offering 2K video capture and 2K is now supported on YouTube and other things like that. So despite them not wanting to exist as a resolution, it does exist. But I digress <laughs> from the Sony Xperia 1 Mark II. So the interesting thing about this phone, apart from the 4K display, is that Sony is now working with Zeiss for their, for their optics, for the camera on the back. And Sony... And Zeiss go a long way back because Zeiss have been making lens for the Alpha series cameras. 
And instead of going for excessive specs on the Xperia 1 Mark II, they have decided to stick to fairly reasonable specs instead. So there are three cameras on the back and they are all 12 megapixels. Now that may sound underwhelming when you compare it to some rivals that have 108 megapixels and 46 megapixels and all of this, but Sony's Sony's approach here seems to be one of trying to keep things in check, keep things in balance, and hopefully deliver a good experience. There are other people doing this, notably the Apple iPhone does it, and the Google Pixel does it, and those are two very good phones. So maybe Sony is going to be onto, onto a winner here. Uh, time will tell, because the other thing that happened was because MWC was cancelled, Sony sent all of their stock back to Japan, and we didn't actually get to play with it. So are they the only ones that have launched this week? So no, there have been some other devices, and literally as we're recording this, LG has announced the uh, the V60, and the V60 is the update to the V50 that came last year. It's a new 5G handset. They pitched this very much at content creators. So again, they put a lot of emphasis into cameras, and for a long time, this has been a, a good device if you're interested in capturing video, and they have had a lot of advanced video um, settings in there. Obviously, we haven't had the chance to play with this phone yet, but it comes with a massive 6.8-inch display. It's another Snapdragon 865 device with 5G. It has a huge battery in it. So it could be that this LG handset is going to be uh, another alternative for some people who don't fancy what's already out there. Certainly, it's joining the pack with big specs and the latest, uh, the, uh, promising to do all of the latest things. And... So then we had saw we saw LG we saw and uh, saw Huawei had launched some stuff as well. Did, do you feel there's a big trend out of all of this, is or is it more just better cameras and five G? At the moment, it feels as though you have to t- you have to be shouting about big specs. That's what it feels like. And we all, we went through this with cameras, however many years ago, ten years ago, where people were just putting more and more megapixels in their cameras and saying, "Yeah, this is brilliant." And I'm, I'm not talking about smartphone cameras; I'm talking about actual cameras in those days, digital cameras. And now it seems that the competition is very much about putting the biggest specs you can into your devices. And I I've had a little rant about this sort of thing before, but fundamentally, when you get to the end of the process, you have to make sure that your device delivers on those promises and if people are buying big numbers expecting a big performance you have to make sure that you deliver it and that's one of the things that that is coming out of this samsung for example have put a hundred times zoom on the the s20 ultra and i was playing with that today and i went down to the thames put the phone on a tripod zoomed out to a hundred times and the photos that you get from that are not photos that you'll ever want to share. You can't really see what you're looking at anyway. It's a vague representation of something a long way off. In some ways, it's technically impressive that this is happening, but the other side, at the other end of the argument is you have to question why it's happening. And I think the why is to sell more phones. Well, there you go. And so is that it now for the phone launches this uh, this season? I know we've kind of, you know, we normally see MWC as a big showcase, obviously not having that. Have we got anything left? Well, luckily, there is a lot that hasn't been launched yet. Okay, so I'm just running down the list, coming straight off the top of my head. Xiaomi have announced the Mi 10 in China, but they haven't announced it in Europe because they had to cancel that from Mobile World Congress. So we've got the, uh, the Mi 10 and the Mi 10 Pro are due. 
Nokia cancelled a press conference and we're expecting uh, maybe the Nokia 8.2, which could be uh, an update with with 5G, a more affordable price point. They also promised a new Nokia original, and I suspect that's going to be a retro phone redone as they've they've announced over the past couple of years. There's the Oppo Find X2, which we know is now launching on the 6th of March. We're also expecting Huawei to come up with with more phones because we've got the uh, Huawei P40, which has been confirmed for the 26th of March. And Motorola apparently has a stack of phones to launch as well, including a new flagship device called the Edge. So, yes, there is a lot to come. Still to come, Mike gives us his verdict on the Fujifilm X-T4 camera. The X-T4 basically gives you all of that, but it dangles that carrot towards people who want to shoot faster. With so many ways to keep entertained, be it Xbox, YouTube or apps, traditional toy companies such as Lego are having to work harder than ever to stay relevant. Lego's response in the past has been to offer a number of film tie-ins like Star Wars to keep kids coming back for more, but even that doesn't necessarily have the same pull factor it once did. Lego's latest approach then is to embrace the world of augmented reality. It's launched a number of new AR sets with what it's calling the Hidden Side range, allowing you to build a set and then explore further via your phone or tablet. But is the marrying of traditional and interactive that easy? How has the industry changed and what's in store for the future? I put all these questions and more to Marius Lang, the head of marketing in the UK, when I met up with him at the end of January at a very busy and noisy Lego stand at the London Toy Fair. I started by asking him what the secret was to Lego staying relevant after all these years. I mean, I would say the, the, the basic ingredient is that Lego play per se is timeless. So the, the basic action of clicking bricks together and, you know, with this, you know, being able to create almost everything that you want is really timeless. And it's something that has proven timeless over the years. So in 2018, we celebrated the 60th anniversary of the brick and the 40th anniversary of the minifigure. Um, so you see generations of this have, have been growing up with it. And Lego Play per se really transcends, you know, age, gender, culture. And um, so that's, that's probably one of the recipes. Um, you know, parents have been playing with it. Uh, they now have an interest handing it uh, over to their children. But then what we would do is obviously as a company, we stay very close to what's on vogue with uh, society, what's on vogue in culture, what's on vogue with children. And we're trying to interject this. So, you know, what are the right IPs to associate uh, you with? Uh, Over the last two years, we've been incredibly successful with Lego Harry Potter, uh, which we brought back um, and uh, has uh, been a phenomenal success. Um, Out of our five uh, top sellers last year, three of them have been Lego Harry Potter. Um, That, That amazing sort of the Hogwarts as a, as a giant Hogwarts is that uh, the giant Hogwarts wasn't uh, around it although it's like a, uh, an amazing set uh, the Lego Night Bus Lego Harry Potter Night Bus uh, has been one of them right. the Great Hall and the Hogwarts Express so obviously you know iconic uh, buildings or vehicles from it uh, Star Wars has been doing really well uh, also since the movie is back uh, you can really see you know it's, it's picking up again um, so that's one recipe, associating yourself to, to great and hot IPs. Um, and then obviously also want to innovate play. So one thing that um, 
we are having as a bit of the mantra for this year is play uh, innovations. And when we talk about play innovations, it basically may, means we are not wanting to move away from the Lego brick as such, but like what can we do around the Lego brick that's, you know, enhancing uh, and um, uh, augmenting almost the Lego play. So this is where Lego Hidden Side, for example, comes right, in. Right, and this is your augmented reality set that came out sort of beginning of last year, wasn't it? So uh, it was mid, mid last year, mid so we, la we launched it in August. Lego Hidden Side is basically uh, a play theme like every other play theme, so it's uh, based in this fictional town of Newbury which got haunted by ghosts. And, you know, you get very cool sets. You get, uh, you know, a high school or a school bus or, you know, a stunt plane or a haunted uh, fairground. Um, and they are, they are really cool builds in itself. You can transform them so that they look haunted. But then you have the on-top play experience of an app. You can scan the set in the app and it would come to life in an augmented reality world. And then you can basically interact with the set. And what's really fascinating about Hidden Side is that it's not then turning into a pure digital experience, but it's really a digital experience. So, you know, what we would ask the kids to do is still have one hand in the real world because they need to change something in the set, like put a minifigure there, change the color sure. on a wheel so that actually the gameplay continues. So you constantly switch between the real world and the digital world. Now we're at the Toy Fair today, which is partly why it's quite a bustling and noisy yeah. environment behind us. Um, we're on the Lego stand. I've seen some of the new sets, which I can't tell anybody about because uh, I know they're, they're waiting for the reveal later on in the year. It seems obviously you're launching new hidden side sets. Has it been a successful launch? Are you, has it been yeah. well received? So for the full year, um, uh, 2019 in the toy industry, it came in uh, as the second uh, biggest new property which is obviously quite an achievement for a, a toy line that's only been launched in August, so it didn't even have the full year sales uh, to sure. achieve this. So it's been doing really well. We're getting uh, fantastic feedback from uh, kids and parents alike, actually, that, that, that love the play experience. Uh, the sets get really good ratings when you go online and, you know, you know, you look what the, what the fans think, so we and, are quite happy with it. And how hard has it been to sort of come from a traditional toy company? As you said, it's about, you know, building bricks and yeah. sticking them together yeah. and stuff, yeah. and, then, and then adding this layer of technology, but without kind of replacing that technology. You know, a lot of the toy industry that you're talking, you know, I've been talking to today, there seems to be this, you know, constantly fighting against the likes of Fortnite and video games and all those mobile apps and, and that kind of stuff. So, and here you are, a company that seems to be saying, well, you can have both. How, yes. how difficult has that been? I mean, it all needs to start with an acknowledgement. And I think the acknowledgement is what you were just saying, actually, is how a lot of parents and adults think about it. So they can either be digital play or they can be physical play and both are competing with each other. It's, it's an interesting thought because if you talk to kids, that's not how kids uh, see it. Because basically what the kids think is that it's all very fluid. So they would play digital in one moment and then they switch, would switch back to the real world. And, you know, it's kind of seamless. So that insight per se has then kind of informed a proposition like Hidden Side because the proposition allows this constant switching between the digital and the physical. And you know, if you're a parent and like today you're really torn because on the one hand, you know, my kids need to get used to all of this digital stuff because that's, you know, 
the future, sure. and that's you know what's equipping them for 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 their own professional futures and also private futures. But then you also want them to come back from the digital world. You don't want to lose them to, totally to the screen. So Hidden Side is perfect for this because you constantly get them back from the digital into the physical, back into the digital, into the physical. And in fact, you know, we've done studies on this. Parents don't like their kids playing digital, but they are kind of fascinated by it because they know it's important and they do also enjoy playing it together with them. Right. So now at um, Toy Fair, we're demoing it here. Uh, we've just launched a multiplayer mode for Hidden Side where you can basically, you know, um, haunt ghosts together with your friends. So one becomes the ghost hunter, the other party becomes the ghost. So obviously this allows the kids now to play it with their friends, but you can also get into it as a dad, enjoying it with your kid. Now, one of the things oh, I've also sorry, one of the things I've also noticed around the toy fair today is there feels this this sort of sense that a lot of the toys are, are pitching me. You know, I'm in my mid 40s. They're kind of it's you know it's Back to the Future DeLoreans, which you've experienced in the past. Yeah. And you know, or it's uh, board games about Bill and Ted's, or it's you know it's fun pops about sort of WWE or things like that. You know, kind of pitching the adult and grown up and we've already seen this from Lego with like the Stranger Things set yep. from last year yep. and you could say some of that Harry Potter stuff is those the people that watched them originally are now kind of old as well is that a trend that you're seeing in the industry as a whole yourself and how are you adapting to that or is it just something that it, it seems to be by the by and, and will soon blow away I mean what we are seeing is and, and how we see it as a brand is that you know play like shouldn't be limited to the age, right? I mean, being playful is actually a character that you, you, you want to keep and you want to stay young at heart. So, so the way we see it at LEGO is we don't want to dictate um, that, you know, being able to play with LEGO stops at a certain age because we really feel it's like a language that can go beyond. Now, obviously, if you're an adult, you're looking for a bit more challenging builds than you know if you're a four five six year old who gets sure. into lego play so i guess what we are acknowledging as a brand is that if there are people that are looking for this experience we also want them to find experiences that are challenging you so all of the things you talked about before are obviously passions that exist you know you have people that are interested in tv shows or that are interested in movies or that are interested in fast cars um, or certain IPs on the cars, and obviously we want to cater for this. So some of the sets you were talking about, Stranger Things, um, we, la we launched in October last year, a Land Rover Defender, which also David Beckham uh, enjoyed building over, over Christmas, as he was showing everybody, um, are you know, sets that are also still very challenging as an adult. And, you know, we welcome this. And, you know, like who says that you have to stop playing with Lego when you hit a certain age? Mindfulness is an important thing that, you know, people are talking more and more, you know, detox, digital detox. How can you get back into the physical world? I think Lego is a great brand to do digital detox and to get back into the and physical world. And do you see them, do you think we'll see more from Lego in that sphere of, of sort of more sets that are perhaps geared more towards the adults than... Than, than the children? I mean, the way we would probably think about it is not necessarily adults versus kids, but like certain passions. And those passions per se transcend age, right? So you may have seen last week we launched uh, the uh, Old Trafford set for Man United, 
which um, from at least what I've heard seems to be flying off the shelves. It's a bit of a divisive one in the UK because you sure. either like it or you don't like it. There's no sure. in-between. Um, but that's obviously another one which I um, think a lot of adults will be picking up and just building it for themselves. And, and how do you go about choosing the sets to build? You know, there's, it's that sense of you can obviously, the world is your imagination, right? And you can go whichever way. So what made you suddenly say, right, we're going to make a Man United Old Trafford Stadium yeah. rather than, say, Liverpool or rather than something, you know, Twickenham or some, something completely different? I mean, first and foremost, as you say, the great thing about Lego bricks is that literally you can build anything you want with it, right? Um, and if you wanted to build an old Trafford Stadium before or an Enfield Road from Liverpool, you can. You just need to get the right bricks. So, in a way, um, that's you know showing the, the versatility uh, that the system offers. Now, to your specific question, how are we looking into specific sets? So, we acknowledge that you know, people have different passion points. And, you know, there's maybe movies, could be cars uh, or vehicles. Sports is a big one. We, ha we haven't done a lot in sports yet. So um, that obviously is the first avenue into sports. Man United is like a big football club that's popular in the UK, but also worldwide. Uh, sure. Probably one of the biggest IPs that you can get there. And, you know, yeah, it's divisive. Some love it, some don't. And, uh, I mean, I, I cannot speak to, quite frankly, I also don't know it, what's down the line. But, you know, we will continue to explore different passions that, you know, speak to, to people across the ages. And talking of passions, a lot of people got very excited about Lego Movie, obviously Lego Movie 2. Do you think there will be a Lego Movie 3? Well, that's, a, that's a, an interesting question, and uh, quite frankly, I don't know. Um, the movies have been uh, quite successful. I mean, uh, there, has a bit of, there has been a bit of a wear out, because we did four movies, and they were in a kind of very limited time frame. Um, but that being said, even the Lego Movie 2 did actually quite well for an animated movie in, in, in last year. So I, I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was another one coming down the road. It may look completely different to what we've seen before because also here you want to innovate the formula. But let's see. The long-standing Fujifilm X-T series has in the past set the benchmark for being the mirrorless camera to beat all others. Indeed, the X-T3 won Best Camera in the 2019 Pocalint Awards last year. Now there's a new kid in town, the Fujifilm X-T4. But can the new camera deliver? Mike's been using the new mirrorless offering to find out. So Mike, is it any good? Yeah, it's um, it's a really interesting camera. It kind of, in this kind of era where there's fewer and fewer cameras coming out, they kind of need to do that a little bit more to kind of strike an interest. And sometimes you see camera makers putting out a camera that has kind of not many differences from its predecessor. Although the X-T4 is quite similar to the, the X-T3 that came before it in that it's got the same sensor, so the same resolution and the same kind of picture quality. It's, um, it's ramped things up a bit to try and attract those that want those extra little features so you can get 15 frames a second. They've improved the uh, in-camera stabilization as well, and they've kind of crammed in a new battery system also, which should alleviate those issues with uh, cameras not lasting as long as some people would like them to do so. Now, I know that you loved the T3, which won Best Camera of the Year in the 2019 Pocket Lent Awards. Do you feel this is, and you've mentioned a few things that they've they've improved and upgraded, do you think this is a worthy upgrade? Is it kind of an evolution, a revolution? Is it along the same lines? 
it, I think it depends what you're looking for. So both both the cameras will continue to to be on sale, and I think there's kind of quite a clear line from the company there that they haven't changed the image quality ultimately. So what you got from the predecessor, you still get now. I think this is partly down to cramming more pixels in doesn't necessarily make for an improvement. So the quality on the on XT3 I thought was great. That was one of the first mirrorless cameras I've used where you could actually really shoot moving subjects without it being too much of a problem. And the XT4 basically gives you all of that, but uh, dangles that carrot towards people who want to shoot faster. Is also a, a slightly larger lean towards video shooting as well. Um, it has its own completely dedicated mode now. So you've got like a, a switch you can flick over um, and it'll put it straight into movie mode with like a dedicated menu. Anything you then change in that section is all for movies. And you can flick the switch back when you want to shoot still images afterwards. So um, I think they're trying to appeal just to a variety of different audiences, basically. Um, and how does this, obviously the price is expected to be about £1,500 when it comes out at the end of April. Yeah. How, how if someone's coming towards this and thinking, hmm, should I get a Canon DSLR or a Sony Alpha or, or whatever, how, how do you feel this compares to those? It's always a tricky question to kind of answer. So the in terms of quality now, I think we've kind of reached a point where really the main staple companies, i.e. Canon, Nikon, um, Fuji, Panasonic, and such like, they're all doing really, really well with the kind of quality you can get. I think it partly comes down to the physical size of a camera you want to use, if you want to use one at all, um, how many lenses are available, what kind of lenses you want. Um, and features kind of such like that. So, I mean, with Fuji, they kind of take a bit of a different take because their cameras have got this retro kind of styling that no one else really kind of jumped into. And I think that gives them a real kind of stand apart aesthetic. Um, it doesn't dramatically change how the camera operates, but it just kind of looks kind of cool. Um, and I really, I like looking at those kind of cameras. I think they have a kind of real charm about them. Um, but in terms of quality, yeah, you, you're going to get slightly different points of use from a DSLR compared to this. I mean, I still think a DSLR has the, the edge when it comes to shooting moving subjects. Um, the DSLR is an older kind of system, so it has a legacy where you've got a lot more lenses typically are available. Um, that said, a lot of people aren't likely to need to use that many lenses. So uh, some of these newer ones, if you stick to a small selection, you've got pretty much everything you need um, and of decent quality. So always a hard one to answer. Um, it comes down mm. to a variety of things. And what did you think? I know, as I say, I know you haven't used this for a great deal of time in, in compared to what you'd normally like to put through the rigors of a, of a camera test. What did you think? Mm, that's, that's niggling, worrying that on a further inspection, you, you, you'd sort of have to take a deeper dive into. Nothing distinctly. I mean, in, in a way, it, it has so many similarities to the, the predecessor. And that was a pretty solid camera. I think the one thing that I always wanted it to have was um, what Panasonic has. It's a thing called pinpoint autofocus. It's kind of like a crosshair that you get. And then when you half press the shutter, it zooms right into 100%. So you can really confirm that kind of confirmation. It's quite good for stills, um, things that aren't moving around. Um, Panasonic seems to be the only one to offer that kind of focusing. Um, maybe they're the only ones that are allowed to or something. I'm not really sure. Yeah. But, um, that's about all, really. Honestly, it works really well. It's um, Like I said about the T3 a couple of years ago, I was really surprised by how it could actually shoot moving subjects, which is something that mirrorless cameras previously 
kind of couldn't do quite so well. And I think um, the gap between mirrorless and DSLR was really closing um, and fewer and fewer things to complain about ultimately. Cool. And so the final verdict, would you sort of suggest that people take a closer look if they're interested or is this one to stick clear of? Definitely have a look. The The only thing being, of course, is the sensor is the same as that in the X-T3, which is certainly cheaper. And when this launches, uh, it could well, who knows, get even cheaper once again. So if it's just down to stills quality and you don't need to shoot super fast, um, you may want to save a few quid instead. Well, that's it for this week's show. Hope you've enjoyed the episode. If you get a moment, can you please give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform you're listening on? It really will help raise our profile and let others know you like us too. Until next time, pip pip. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.